Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Daily Utah Chronicles new narrative podcast, Can of Worms. My name is Oliver. And my name is Cambria. Okay, Ollie, what are we doing? Every episode, we're going to open a can of worms, and we'll talk about something we think is important for you all to hear. We'll interview people, go places, blend all these sounds together, and tell you an interesting story. Well, that sounds like a good time. I wanted to start off with a question. So you know the Great Salt Lake shrinking, right? I have heard of that, yes. Most people have, I yeah. hope. Well, what scares you most about the whole Great Salt Lake dilemma? You know, arsenic storms, it all drying up, and then the dust kicking up and killing us all. You know, good, easy stuff like that. That we're all going to die. Yeah, that stuff. Well, that's valid. But have you ever thought about what will happen to the birds? Birds are really cool. I really like birds. And I think the birds are going to die before you, Cambria. Well, I could have told you that as well. <laughs> but when they do... That's not a good sign for us. We talked to Katie Newborn, who's education and outreach director for Friends of the Great Salt Lake, and she said the same thing. You know, as the birds go, we go too. Like, that's not a good sign for us humans who live around the lake to see other species who depend on it suffering. So here's the interesting thing. Birders are going to the Great Salt Lake and noticing less birds. And I wanted to know exactly what's happening, like what's causing this bird decline. So I got interested and I started to do some research. So Cambria, this story begins with a very important type of monkey. Okay. A sea monkey, actually. Why, it's elementary, my dear Watson. You just add sea monkey eggs to prepared water and before your eyes you see them come to life. And when you feed them, they grow and grow. Makes more sense. I'm sure you've heard of them. They're those little aquatic pets that you can watch grow in little aquariums. Maybe you had one as a kid? Absolutely not, didn't I had sea monkeys as a kid. <gasps> oh, Producer L! For those listening, that's Producer L. Hi. Yes, I had sea monkeys when I was very little. They, you know, they have like little plastic tanks and I had it on my windowsill. This is a very tragic story. Oh, no. I had them for maybe a week or two and the window was open one day and they just like tipped over and spilled out everywhere and I was four and it was a really big deal and I cried a lot. Sea monkeys, the amazing instant pets for the whole family. That's tragic. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's Core really memory. Tragic. So what do sea monkeys have to do with this? Well, one of the only living creatures in the Great Salt Lake is a type of sea monkey. They're called brine shrimp. So currently the south arm of the Salt Lake hovers around 12 to 19%. After some research, I found that some people are predicting that if the lake continues to dry up, the lake will keep getting saltier and could be catastrophic for the brine shrimp populations. But not just the brine shrimp. We actually talked to Cooper from the Tracy Avery to see just how important the Great Salt Lake ecosystem is to these birds. People always say over 250 species that are relying on Great Salt Lake every year, basically. That's a lot of birds that rely on these little sea monkeys. That's what I thought. So I kept looking into it. And what I found is that the eared grebes are one of the most influenced by the brown shrimp population. An example of that would be the eared grebes come in the fall and, you know, we get three to five million of them, like up to 90% of the North American population. And they spend like three to five months here basically just eating brine shrimp. Kajowski, who was a wildlife biologist for the Department of Natural Resources, also told us the importance of eared grebes. The eared grebe, I would say, would be the number one bird we talk about when it comes to eating brine shrimp. Uh, we see anywhere from two to five million eared grebes on the lake during the fall and spring. So, like this fall, if you went out on the lake, you would just see endless amounts of these birds. Uh, it's pretty cool to see. Um, and they feed on brine shrimp. And Dr. Conover at Utah State University studied eared grebes and how much they eat, like their diet and their stomach content, and figured out that each eared grebe eats around 25,000 to 30,000 brine shrimp per day. So brine shrimp are quite important to birds, especially eared grebe. And 
They also play a pretty large role in Utah's economy. They bring in 10 to $60 million a year, depending on harvest numbers. Okay, a $60 million industry. Who's buying these brine shrimp? Well, interestingly enough, brine shrimp are actually a good food source for pet fish. And once harvested from the Great Salt Lake, they're shipped all over the world for this. So we reached out to the brine shrimp harvesters to see how this process works, but we didn't get a response. So we started going to local fish shops to talk to people about where they got their shrimp and how they use them. First, we went to Petco and talked to Cassie. I guess in terms of like brine shrimp as like a food source for fish, how often do people buy brine shrimp here? Um, pretty frequently. Brine shrimp are a really good option because they're high in sodium, which helps with gill function and just overall health, and high in protein as well. She gave some pretty good info. So if you like your fish and you want to feed them something yummy that aren't little fish pellets, brine shrimp could be the answer. From all these stores we went to, it sounds like the Great Salt Lake is a big part of pretty much the whole brine shrimp harvesting. The production of brine shrimp. The production yeah. of brine shrimp, and yeah. it's like one of the most important in the world. Mm -hmm. So if you go to the store and like buy farmed fish or um, shrimp, mm -hmm. there's a like 40 to 60% chance that those were raised on Great Salt Lake brine shrimp. Wow. So it's like a very cool way that Great Salt Lake is connected to the world. And the aquaculture industry is just like super important for feeding everyone. So it's pretty cool. I'm walking down the aisle now of the PetSmart, looking at all the different varieties of fish. There's a blue sort-tailed guppy, a tequila sunrise delta guppy, you know, what look to be genetically modified glowfish that uh, shine in the black light. And what I keep, I'm keeping in mind throughout these, uh, this fish peruse is that all of these fish, in some form or another, rely on brine shrimp in the time of their life. But we wanted more information, so we continued looking into other stores. We were very passionate about this. Gotcha. We also went to a reef on and talked to a guy that was very interested and said some crazy things about coral and growing your own coral. Wow. Well, they're a colony of each mouth is an individual animal. And then their colors come from uh, algae that is symbiotic, lives with them. Oh, okay. And so that's called zooxanthillae. So they have that algae inside of them. And that's what gives them like their colors and stuff. And the algae like helps them, I think, consume sugar. So I'm just wondering like, if they're harvesting all this brine shrimp, how is it affecting the populations? And oh. if they're already could be affected by the salinity of the lake, are they like compounding the issue by harvesting all these brine shrimp? Oh, that's a good point. Ashley actually let us know if they can regulate the levels of brine shrimp every year, mm -hmm. they can stop them from overproducing and then like eating up the food and dying off. Because oh, you said that before that, yeah. that's kind of what the issue was. But if they can regulate how much brine shrimp are being harvested and keep it at that level, then they'll keep it at a sustainable level for wow. all the birds. So it is like a symbiotic, very nice symbiotic relationship. Exactly. Yeah. So how does that relationship happen? Let me let Ashley explain. We have a boat and we take it out on Great Salt Lake. Typically, we have 17 sampling sites, but since the lake has gotten more shallow, we lost our two shallowest sites. So now we go to 15 sites on the lake and we take a net haul sample. So it's like a big net um, and you drop it down into the water column, pull it back up and it's made of really fine mesh. So it keeps the brine shrimp eggs inside of it. Um, we do it in the summer too. So we can count adults and everything. When we go out on the lake and we get these samples and we count the cysts, we keep track of how many are in the lake 
per liter. So it's a density measurement. Mm -hmm. And we have this number of 21 cysts per liter in the water is where we will stop the harvest. Mm -hmm. And that's how we've been able to manage it. And because we manage it that way, we've been able to keep the brine shrimp in the lake um, steadily. And so the birds, when they come here every year, have brine shrimp. Whereas in the past, um, before we started collecting data, there's, you know, written down stories of the lake not having any shrimp. Mm. Um, so I think they would go through these boom and bust cycles where there'd be tons of shrimp reproducing and then they would eat all their food and crash mm -hmm. and the birds would come here and there might not have been as many. Um, but because we manage it and they don't crash anymore, mm -hmm. we've been able to provide birds with food consistently. So the I feel like the management of the brine shrimp on Great Salt Lake is like a huge success story. So, like I said, I first thought the issue was all with the brine shrimp uh -huh. and that the brine shrimp harvesters were kind of making it worse by harvesting all these brine shrimp. Sure. And that isn't the case at all. The brine shrimp are fine, at least for now. So then what's the problem? According to the people we talked to, the brine flies are the main issue right now. Oh. Let me let Carly at the Great Salt Lake Institute explain what's going on. The problem is that the... We think that there's less flies for the birds to eat, and we also think that the flies might not be as nutritious as before. So while brine shrimp are a good food source for birds, brine flies are a much more important food source. Even Ashley agrees this is the real issue. Most of our research has focused on brine shrimp, but I think now with, you know, realizing how much habitat we're losing for brine flies, we might have to start to focus on that a little bit more. So brine flies take the cake for important food source over brine shrimp. Yeah, exactly. There's not as many that are hatching, um, but also with the less place to pupate as the microbialites are drying up and getting exposed, then there's just less opportunity for the flies to attach. Okay, wait, what are the mi microbialites? That's the one. What are those about? So think of them kind of like the coral of the Great Salt Lake. Okay. I'm sure that... The guy from Refon would love these. He definitely would. They form underwater and made up of billions of microbes that can live underwater. And these mounds of microbes are super important for the lake. They're basically like the foundation of the lake's ecosystem. Okay. Here's Katie from Friends of Great Salt Lake again. Um, they're the producers, you know, who photosynthesize and then convert all of that energy up the food chain. Um, they are exposed, huge swaths of them, as a result of low water levels. And they, um, you know, they need to live and form in shallow water because, you know, they're producing their energy from sunlight. So they, ha they can't be, you know, so deep that the sunlight doesn't penetrate to reach them. Um, and the brine flies are also dependent on those microbialites as a substrate that they attach to while they pupate, while they transform from their larval stage into their adult stage. <laughs> Sure, you're getting the picture. They're important, right? Are you learning here? I feel like I Are you am. Listen to me. Yeah. But like more of these mounds get exposed, less brine flies can use them to reproduce and feed on their nutrients, and so the population of brine flies decrease. Here's Katie from Friends of Great Salt Lake again. As we started to see these microbialites being exposed, it was like, okay, these are the foundation of the food web. This is not going to be good. Um, and now we're we're seeing that ripple upward in the food chain. So this is really what's affecting the birds. I've seen a decline in common golden eyes, so those are waterfowl that stay here in the winter and they often feed off of brine fly larvae. Mm -hmm. okay. And so we have seen some impacts on brine fly larvae abundance. And 
we think it's due to the depletion of habitat. So brine fly larvae live on microbialites in the bottom of the lake. These microbialites are becoming exposed as the lake shrinks, so they are losing habitat, and that is a concern for us because these birds depend on brine fly larvae as food. Actually, a lot of birds de depend on either brine fly larvae or brine fly adults for food. What's the solution here? Well, team needs to save the microbialites because by doing that, we'll save the ecosystem. But we don't have a lot of time. It's Katie again. It's kind of um, a race against the clock to preserve the food web within the lake, like within the next year. Um, the lake needs a lot of water to avoid basically dropping another foot, which it did this year and it did the year before. So just we work you know, in all of our advocacy efforts to deliver water to the lake. That is the name of the game. Um, and that's really going to cushion the impacts of the rising salinity, um, you know, the loss and exposure of huge swaths of microbialites that are now out of the water, um, and provide additional habitat for the birds who are coming to the lake. That really across the board, you know, that's the solution that we need. So without water, the lake disappears, then the microbialites, then the flies, and the shrimp, and then the birds, and after the birds, probably the humans. It's a pretty dire situation. To understand the water we're losing, it's important to understand the geography of the lake. I'll let Ashley explain. When I think of Great Salt Lake, I actually think of like five different bodies of water. So we have the north arm, which is hypersaline pink water, right? Archaea and bacteria live there. It's divided by the causeway. Then we have the south arm, which is typically less saline, and it ranges anywhere from like eight, typically to like 16 or 17 percent. We're at 19.4 percent now, so we are very salty. Um, but then we have Farmington Bay, Ogden Bay, and Bear River Bay. Okay. And those do vary in salinity. Bear River Bay is the freshest, um, mostly fresh water. There are fish that live in there. Then we have Ogden Bay and Farmington Bay, which are a little more saline, like one to 3%. So it is kind of like three you know, different lakes there. And then like we have that salty water with the brine shrimp and brine flies. But then we also have all these wetlands, and those are separate from those bays. If these I mean, the water from those wetlands feeds into those bays, but a lot of those are impounded, which means the water is like held back by dikes and ditches. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're pretty man-made, but the cool thing is, is we can store water in there mm -hmm. and we can store deep water in there, which helps like diver ducks, um, a lot of waterfowl like to use those areas. But the thing is our managers can manipulate that water and send it to different areas so they can make, you know, shallow water, deep water, and like try and create enough habitat for the different species we have coming here. And those wetlands are mostly along the east side of Great Salt Lake, and we have some in the north too. Um, and I think it's 357,000 total acres of wetlands, and the state manages about 100,000. But we went to the Great Salt Lake and we saw mounds of dead microbialites. It doesn't seem like moving that water around is helping. So we're standing by a mound, which is a above water microbialite. And it uh, has like a crusty top layer, but as we, for the, in the name of science, kick off a little bit of this layer, it's still pretty green inside from all the microbes. There's not much life happening out here. Just dried up microbialite. It would be sad if this is the future of the Great Salt Lake because there's no birds out here either. There's just really nothing. Wasn't there a bunch of legislation that passed last session that's supposed to put more water into the lake? There definitely is. And a lot of people we talked to are excited about the prospect of that legislation. 
I have so much hope, actually, for the league. That's good. Bring it back to the birds, though. Yes, of course we can bring it back to the birds. What happens to them now? What are they going to do without their habitat? Do we know how they're being affected? Like, what's what's the end game? Well, Ashley's department actually surveys the birds that visit the Great Salt Lake each year. They do something a lot like this at the aviary, too. Ashley and Cooper both said that they haven't seen a huge decline in birds yet. So that's a good thing. And there's more that we as water users can do to help too. So what do we do now? Well, here's Katie again explaining. Our districts have said that they've seen promising results in terms of conservation by residents um, over the last couple of years. And that's a really good sign that, you know, even as we have below average snowpack and even as we have continued drought in Utah, um, you know, that, we're, that we as water users in this basin are making progress on conservation opens up some cushion for those water districts to say, yes, we can send water to the lake. We have like enough in our reservoirs that we can allocate some to the lake. There's an under silver lining of this crisis in some ways is, no, again, no matter what your values or interests are, um, you have an interest in keeping water in Great Salt Lake. So for many folks, an economic message is more effective. Um, you know, if we're not going to have a thriving economy and growth like we've enjoyed here in Utah for a very long time if we live in a toxic dust bowl. I'm hearing that even though the situation sucks, there are still some things to be hopeful about. Absolutely. A lot of people we talk to are really hopeful about the actions being taken. It's important like for people to know that there is hope. <laughs> so um, we know from examples from other lakes, like, you know, even if the lake gets, you know, too like too high of salinity and you know the populations of some of these creatures declines like they we still see that they're hanging on in certain areas um and we know that if if water goes back in the system like they their populations can you know rebound again so i guess i would just say like the message shouldn't be that like everything is terrible and there is no hope because that doesn't that doesn't solve any problems right like the message should be like this is very scary and everyone should be angry about it but like there are things that we can do like if we just get water to the lake the main thing we need to focus on is getting water back into the great salt lake as soon as possible and to, and to do that we need to focus on bringing attention to how dire the situation at the lake really is so we are at a very important make or break point with the lake the question I leave with you today, Cambria, is do we think we can turn this thing around? I mean, it seems like there's a lot of people fighting for this cause. So, yeah, absolutely. Anything that people are fighting for. Legislation, organizations, and experts all around are trying to make an effort. And as long as that's happening, I don't really see how it could fail. I mean, it could. Like, of course, it could. Yeah. But really, it's headed in the right direction. Yeah. The main thing we just need to focus on, and what everyone said, is water, water, water. Water is very important. And as long as we can keep the salinity of the lake at a reasonable amount and keep the microbialites under the surface, the ecosystem could rebound. Saving the brine flies, saving the brine shrimp, and saving the birds. Exactly. Wow. Thank you all for listening. We'd like to thank our producer, <laughs> We're not Bia, and our producer, Elle, yeah. <laughs> and design, Sydney, and... Music, man. Music, man.